I am the kind of person that likes to read the last chapter of the book first. Because I want to know that if I'm going to invest that much time reading a book without pictures, that it has an ending that I like. And these days, with so many choices in movies and televisions, uh, television shows, I want to know if things are going to turn out the way I want. I, I, I hate getting halfway through a series and then find out that they kill off all the characters I like, and then there's nobody to root for, and I'm done with it. So spoiler warnings, spoiler alerts, don't bother me. Now, I do think that you should show courtesy to people who haven't yet seen a movie or read a book or something like that, and uh, you know, don't spoil it for the rest of them. They're trying to avoid this. It's hard to do because it pops up all over everyone's uh, social media feeds. And so, so don't do that. Keep, keep it to yourself. I'm not going to spoil it for anyone else. But don't think it odd if I come to you, as I have done with many, and said, hey, tell me how that series ends. And, and, and it's, I, I appreciate it because people will say, you really want me to tell you how it ends? Yes, I want to know. I'll still enjoy it getting there. I just need to know that there's the ending that I approve of before I get invested in it. Now, having said that and telling you not to spoil anything, I'm going to spoil the book of Revelation for you, okay? Uh, Revelation, you can say that, well, all of this is stuff that happened, you know, in the past. True, some of it, but not true with other parts of it. There are things in Revelation that have to do with the future. The return of Christ, uh, the, uh, the city of God, the new heaven, the new earth. Now, if you don't want to know this spoiler, you've been warned. But um, the dragon loses. The dragon gets killed. I, and if you have a problem with me spoiling it, tell John. I didn't write the Bible, okay? John wants to spoil it for everyone because he wants you to know how the narrative is going to end. And I think it's good that we have this narrative uh, spoiled for us, that we know this. John's not just trying to ruin the fun of the drama. He's saying this was written in at the beginning, the end of the dragon. And it's important that you and I know that because there are a lot of other narratives that we get out there, a lot of different stories about the world we live in that tell us who we are and what this world's about. And they will be narratives where the dragon might get the upper hand or where evil might win or where evil might triumph. And that can lead to despair. That can lead to anger. And here's the thing. Even though there may be moments where it looks like Satan, the dragon, the evil one, is getting the upper hand, in the end, he loses. Our text is Revelation 20. This is how John tells the story. John is still seeing visions of what is to come. He's seen the rider on the white horse, the champion, the Messiah, who's going to lead heaven's armies in the final battle. He says, Then I saw, and I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to a bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. And he sees the dragon, that old serpent, who is the devil, Satan. And he bound him in chains for a thousand years. 
The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. Afterward, he must be released for a little while. And then I saw thrones, and the people sitting on them had been given the authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue, nor accepted his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They all came to life again, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them, the second death holds no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him a thousand years. When the thousand years come to an end, Satan will be let out of his prison and he will go out and he will deceive the nations called Gog and Magog in every corner of the earth. He will gather them together for battle, a mighty army, as numberless as sand on the seashore. And I saw them as they went up on the broad plain of the earth, and they surrounded God's people, the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven, attacking the armies and consumed them. Then the devil who had deceived them, was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. And there they'll be tormented day and night, forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne, and the one sitting on it. And the earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up its dead. And death and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. And then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was also thrown into the lake of fire. Well, in the midst of all that, you heard how the devil, the serpent, the dragon loses, and he loses quickly. But then there's a judgment where all things are made right, where all things are judged, and and anything that does not fit into God's standard or will for a perfect creation is all disposed of. Now still, there's a lot of symbols going on there that for us, and we may not be as familiar with those symbols, we, we just... I don't blame you for asking what's going on here, okay? Because this one chapter, a short chapter in Revelation, leads to a lot of discussion. Now, we could teach classes on this, and maybe we will one day, but this is Sunday morning. So let's just say a few things. First of all, what's going on here is the dragon is thrown down into the abyss, into a pit. There, There are... There are stories that John is referencing, okay? It's just as we've said before. You know, a lot of music today has samples from other music. 
So you're, you're hearing something and you're like, wait, I've heard that song before. Yeah, they've taken something from an old tune and they've put it in there. And they sample it and they mix it all together. John, I mean, th- this, is, uh, this is DJ John the Apostle, okay? He's mixing everything together in this. And he's got a lot of different samples going on here. This idea of the abyss and this idea of the, of the champion who's fighting the dragon, this goes back to myths that the people there, it would have been their pop culture that they would have known. They would have gotten the reference. Oh, yeah, it's like that old story where Apollo, the, the sun god, took on Python, the earth serpent demon spirit, and Apollo defeated him and and, and now he's been thrown down into the center of the earth up there at Mount Parnassus, you know, where they have the uh, Delphic oracles because they, because they speak from the center of the earth. Well, John is saying they've taken the dragon and they've thrown him down into the pit, down into the abyss, and he is locked up. It reminds him of that Apollo Python story. There's this idea then that evil is somehow trapped deep within the earth. The point of the Revelation story is it's contained, it's chained, it's bound for a thousand years. Now this is the part where we really get worried. Because when it comes to the thousand years, um, we wonder, okay, has it started, has it not started? Where exactly is it? Um, the, The thousand years confuses us because we don't know, has the, has, has, did the thousand years start at the time of Christ? Is it about to start? Is it yet to come? And you end up with all sorts of theories that, quite honestly, have gotten people excited and anxious and worried for at least the last 200 years, and, and probably as long as there's been revelation. I don't want to get into dates and times, because it's, it's unproductive. It doesn't help. But I know that one of my passions and interest in, in Revelation is because uh, e- even as a young person, I got hit with options. Are you a premillennial post-tribulationist or are you a pre-tribulationist post-millennialist? Or, no, I'm a pre-trib post-millennial, pre-millennial, post-modern. Okay, you have all these terms and you can't keep it straight. You need a scorecard. What, what are you? And everybody, I guess... I guess in heaven, everybody's going to have these badges that say, I'm pre-trib, post-trib, uh, pre-millennial, post-millennial, amillennial. And then there'll be those of us who are the pan-millennialists, which means that it's all going to pan out at the end. Ah, don't you like that one? Uh, I- I'm going to tell you this, and I've got to say this. So, uh, there's a lot of humor in this for me, but at the same time, church, we have messed up and confused the message of the gospel by getting to end all this nonsense about the, the end of time. We've speculated on eschatology. And, and here's the thing. I understand that to some people this is very important. But the overall message is the same. God's got this. I was talking to a friend of mine who's very passionate. And the way he sees the end of time, and it doesn't really inspire you, but the way he sees it is... Okay, there's going to be a a tribulation, and in that great tribulation, I mean, it's going to be worse than it is right now, and there's going to be an antichrist, there's going to be a a false god, and, uh, and, and everybody who is good gets raptured and taken out of that. And I guess if you don't believe exactly the right thing, you don't get raptured. I'm still not sure how that works. But he says, in this tribulation world, what's going to happen is, if you confess Christ, you'll die, and they will kill you. 
And if you confess Christ, um, you, um, you, you know, it'll be harder, it'll be harder, and you'll be judged on what you do. And only the martyrs are, are sure of being judged righteous for his sake, because it says all that. And I'm, I'm thinking about it, and I'm thinking, well, wait a second. I think I've got this covered both ways then. He says, no, no, you can't. You have to, you have to, you don't know. And I said, no, no, no. I said, look, I get raptured, and, I, uh, and if I'm raptured, I'm okay. Yeah, all right, fine. I said, that sounds good. But what if you don't? What if you get left behind? I said, well, if, the way I understand the story then, if I get left behind and I preach the gospel, I get killed, but that's very righteous. Exactly, and it'll be tough. I said, I know people that are going through that right now before this tribulation i know people who that is their experience so as far as i'm concerned i'm just going to go find antichrist headquarters and i'm going to do what i do every sunday preach a sermon they'll kill you i go to heaven what's the i I don't see the loss here and it's all because god's got this the dragon doesn't win you see i can have this kind of confidence because i know how the story ends so this business of a thousand years is this period of containment, but it ends. It's finite. It's a long time, but it's finite. Can you even imagine a thousand years? I mean, some of you can tell me how different it was 30 years ago. Oh, the church was so different right here. Some of you, when we talked about the campus, some of you remember, um, you know, Oh, I remember when that was Fort Smith Junior College, huh? How many of you remember that? All right. Or West Art Community College, which is where we got the name. Yeah, you know, all oh, the memories, huh? How about a thousand years ago? What was here a thousand years ago in, 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 the, in the year 1017? Probably a, a swamp and a toad frog right there. I mean, that's, that's grasp a thousand years. It's a big number. It's a big span of time. And John is giving this vision, and he's saying, even though it seems like Satan's bound for a little while, guess what? He's going to get one last gasp. He's going to get to, and and to do it, what he's going to do is he's going to go and he's going to get the greatest army the world has ever seen. Where does this army come from, John? Is it going to be the Romans? Is it going to be the Greeks? No, it's Gog and Magog. Who's that? Well, that's like saying it's those people out there the barbarians, the people we don't know. And again, now he's sampling from the prophet Ezekiel this idea of this faraway nation from the edges of the earth that are going to come in. And and all of these nations from the four corners of the earth are going to come in, and they're going to surround God's holy city, God's beloved people. This looks like doom. This looks like the end. This is where you give up hope. This is the part in the movies where the cavalry shows up and saves everybody. This is the part when relief comes. You're thinking, this is the end, this is the very end, but there's no cavalry here. There's no cavalry because God hasn't even begun to fight. There they are. They're surrounded by, they're surrounding the good guys. They're surrounding the people of God. It looks like the numbers are on their side. Doom is imminent. Fire comes from above and kills them all. One sentence tells their fate and then it's over uh some people want to think well see that's that's a nuclear bomb okay uh 
Imagine for a moment that you are a persecuted Christian in the first century, and you're looking for something to hold on to because you feel like those people that are in the center of the little city of God, and every force of evil on earth is opposed against you. You're feeling it economically. You're feeling it in your family. You're feeling persecuted uh, in every way. You're feeling shut out. And along comes the prophet John, and he says, I have a message of good hope for you. Yes. 2,000 years from now, an atomic bomb will destroy these nations you've never even heard of. Great. What's an atomic bomb? We've got to keep some perspective on this. We always want to read our own experience into this. And the thing is, what I find interesting is, we do read our own experiences and our own uh, references into this, but we often read in the ones we don't need to be reading in. Because why aren't we instead thinking about the fact that there, are, there is a message in Revelation that we need to pick up on? And that's what gets us to this lake of fire, which we reduce down to kind of a cartoon version of hell when there's so much more going on with this lake of fire. First of all, we've got to ask, what's going on? What's all this talk about a first resurrection and a second death? There's two resurrections? Well, not really. Because um, here's the thing I want you to know. Karen, she's my first wife. I pray to God, my only wife, but, you know, ever. But she's still my first, okay? Um. Yeah, that doesn't mean that they're necessary. Yeah, it doesn't mean there's going to be a second. I mean, it's just this is the beginning of the resurrection, the first of the resurrection. To say that this is the beginning of the resurrection or the first resurrection doesn't mean there's going to be a second and a third and a fourth and however many you want. There's no mention ever of a second resurrection. There's only the idea that some are resurrected and then others come along. How, how does that work? Well, you let God take care of resurrection because last I checked, he's the only one that can work that mechanism. But then there's this idea of the second death. Yeah, there may be. You know, notice, there's not a first death and a second death. Second death is mentioned. The idea that when we die, that may not be all that there is. That there's still judgment. And even those who die and seem to have gotten away with it all, there's still judgment. The beast, who's in that lake of fire? When you look at who's filling up that lake of fire, by the way, the lake of fire is not this kingdom that the dragon runs. We get all these, these visions from, uh, from history and from science fiction and from uh, early literature that uh, Satan is somehow the king in hell and he's uh, working everything and he's happy and he's comfortable down there. No, the lake of fire, that's God's incinerator. That's his garbage disposal. Everything that doesn't fit into a good and righteous heaven and earth goes there. The beast goes there. The dragon goes there. And even hell goes in the lake of fire. Did you notice that? Death and Hades go in there. The lake of fire is not just hell. The lake of fire is God disposing of evil. It's God terminating and eradicating evil. When, the, when God is on the great white throne and, and the, the sea gives up its dead 
and, and death and Hades give up their dead. You're, you're someone immersed in Greek culture. You live in one of those seven cities. For you, historically and cosmologically, you think of the universe having three layers to it. There's this earth that we live on. There's the sea out there. There's, and, and then there's hell below. Earth and sky are one. Sea is two. Hell is, uh, is three. And there's gods over each of those. And they each contain their dead. The, the one on the great white throne is releasing them. And he's judging them. Not just judging the ones that are going to go to hell, but he's judging the ones who need to be rescued from that. It's all part of God's plan to even reverse the decay and the evil of death. And everything that's in opposition to God's desire for life is incinerated and done away with. So when did God become the bad guy? When did these verses become the verses that speak of a terrifying God who's ready to just send people straight to hell and watch them burn? I think it happened with bad preaching. And, you know, don't get me wrong. This judgment is serious. And don't get me wrong, everything that stands opposed to God's desire for a good creation and God's desire for righteousness. You read in 2 Peter that Peter has a vision. He says, uh, you know, he talks about the home of, of righteousness. And he goes, now, if it's going to be that way, but then he draws us back to the present, how should we be living now? Now, all of that... It is very real, this second death. And this resurrection is just as real. The part I take issue with is the part where God is the one who is something of a, a bully in the sky just wringing his hands ready for a good roasting. And that's nowhere in this Scripture. In fact, if anything, you see in this Scripture and all of Scripture, God is holding back. He's waiting He's waiting for everyone to get the opportunity to get their name in the book of life. God is patient. Because if God attacks right now, I mean, if God decides right now, okay, this is it, we're going to clean things up. And he decides to just send every ounce of evil in this world into the pit. Now that scenario, I know that there's gonna, I'm going to lose something in that. Thank God he's waiting to do his work on me, on you, on the ones that I love so that we are redeemed and we are cleansed. Don't get me wrong, I still have my confidence in Christ. My confidence is not in my own ability to earn my righteousness. You look at the world around you and you begin to think, you know, why doesn't God come back? Or maybe you think, I wish God wouldn't come back because there, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to pay. And we still see evil in this world, which tells us, that's what tells us that all of this hasn't happened yet. You know, the stuff that happened in, in Charlottesville this weekend is um, is disturbing. Now, there's been incidents of hatred and violence in this country recently in this country historically and even in the rest of the world 
But there's something very disturbing about this one. Maybe it's just the way it's framed. It's wrong. It's very wrong. In fact, what's really disturbing to me is the people who are identifying as Nazis in America. You know, it's not that, it wasn't that long ago that we had the veneer ripped off Hitler's Nazism and we realized, okay, there's some really horrible, evil stuff deep down in that. Maybe not even that deep, really, on the surface. You and I are not far removed from people who were impacted by this. Either they're people who fought and some who died to keep that kind of evil from affecting the earth, or maybe even you know people who were caught up in that in Europe and maybe even deceived by it. And so to see that resurface can be very disturbing. And we're wondering, how can this come about again? Well, there's a lot of people out there and I'm just telling you what people think. I'm not agreeing with it. I'm telling you, there's a lot of people out there who are thinking, you know, all of these folks, they claim to have God on their side. Because they do have a message that has God involved in it, that has Christianity as their religion, the religion of white people, the religion of white Aryans. Well, that's bad preaching. And... They don't get to shape that narrative because God's already shaped it. And the way God shaped the narrative, the dragon loses. The dragon does not win. And there's, a, there's other people who are waiting to hear people in the church say, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm, not, I'm not aligned with them at all. And, you know, and honestly, I think this is a great opportunity for common ground. I th- I mean, I think we can all find common ground saying, uh, yeah, Nazis, those are, those are bad guys. I mean, that should be a given. But how we respond makes a difference, too. In 1993, the best picture that year was Schindler's List. Uh, it's the story of Oscar Schindler, who creates a list of people Jews who can work in his factory and saves them from the death camps in Nazi Germany. And at the end of the movie, all of these uh, Jewish people thank Oscar Schindler and they, they, they commemorate his grave. And I remember watching the movie. We were in uh, Texas then, in Abilene, and everybody's leaving the theater and, it, and there's, no, there's no sound. Everybody's sobbing, everybody's crying, there's tears but not me. I'm looking for Nazis. I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to find a Nazi and wring his neck. I've just got such anger in me because of all of this. I mean, I want to enlist and go into World War II, but it's over. I can't do it. So what am I supposed to do? And, and then it dawns on me later. Jesus said, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery But if you have anger with your brother and sister, you will be judged. We can easily get it right 
on diluted people like this, okay? That, 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 we, we, need, we can do that one. That's easy, all right? These guys are wrong. Nazism, bad. White supremacy is a joke. It's all wrong. But it's, it's, it's also those more subtle forms of evil that I want you to pay attention to. Because that hatred and that anger and that violence that, that comes from, from groups like that becomes infectious. It goes viral. And it can stir up within us what we think is a righteous anger, and then all of a sudden, we're not fighting on God's side anymore. The lake of fire is the second death, and anyone whose name was not recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. When I give in to anger, when I give in to hatred, when I give in to violence, even if I think it's for my own righteous cause, I disqualify myself from the book of life. The way of the Lamb is to stand firmly on the side of love and to stand firmly on the side of obedience no matter the cost. You look at the ones who will be raised in that first resurrection, the beginnings of the resurrection, and they're the ones who weren't afraid to lose their lives, to be beheaded for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ. <clears throat> the, um, there's, and, and here's the other thing, too. So much of this news, and I mean, don't get me wrong. We need, to, we need to call it out. We need to call it what it is. We need to name it. And then we need to get back to the mission, the mission of showing people that there's a better story. I appreciate it that there is, at the same time, good preaching. You know, one of the horrible massacres that this world has seen in recent years, and again, we didn't have the Internet, we didn't have, uh, you know, we didn't have social media, so maybe it didn't make quite the impact. But the massacres in Rwanda were brutal. And, and there, was, there was no way to uh, even imagine what the sources of it were. It just became a frenzy of violence. And people died. But I do remember the Sunday after that, my minister, Eddie Sharp, preached. And he said it was evil. And I paid attention. It wasn't just a news story anymore. Now I knew that there was a force for good in the universe, a force for righteousness and justice that was stronger than the evil that appears on earth. He was telling me that the dragon doesn't win. Wouldn't it be awesome if some of that can change before we get to the violence? Well, I believe that's possible too. Those of us who went on one of the trips in Bulgaria, I mean, you know, we've got Nazis. Well, other countries have Nazis too. But we always heard about the skinheads. The skinheads were uh, young Bulgarian people feeling threatened, feeling angry. They're mean. They get into fights. They, they hurt people. There's a lot of violence that goes on with that. And one of, the people's, one of the people groups that they hate are the gypsies or the Roma. And gypsies is a pejorative term, actually, I, I, I've, I'm, I've understood but, you know, for you and I, that might bring up, you know, romantic ideas of these people with uh, earrings and mustaches that you dressed up as, as a, in a Halloween costume as a kid. But it's a very real group of people over there, and, and they're hated. They're despised. 
And the skinheads particularly feel that way towards the Roma. So we're at one of our gatherings with all of our friends in Bulgaria. And our friend Ivan, who's Roma, he's always there. Now I'll tell you, I'm convinced that this young man has magic powers, Ivan, because it doesn't matter where you're at, he shows up. We can be on a subway going through Sofia, and everybody's like, gee, I hope we see Yvonne. There he is. I don't know. He's reading too much Harry Potter or something. But he, um, and, and he's always around. Nicest, kindest young man you'll ever meet. And then one of the girls invites her friend who everyone knows. He's a skinhead, big, burly fellow, huge. Got the tattoos, the shortcut hair, everything, muscles. He and Yvonne are sitting down at a table together. And so Yvonne's friend, she says, listen, the fact that he didn't kill that, that Roma boy, that's the Spirit of God. Because any other place, any other time, he would have just beat him senseless. See, we have hope because we believe such things are possible and real. And that's the kind of preaching that you and I need to be about. I can preach it with words. You preach it with deeds. We'll do a little bit of both too, okay? But we've, we've got to do it because God wants to put more and more names in this book of life. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to live out our lives in such a way that we show people that we know how the story ends. That the dragon is going down for defeat. And Father, I pray for those who are deceived, those who are deluded, those whose anger, whose hatred, whose fear has made them blind. I pray that their eyes will be opened. And Father, maybe it takes us, maybe it takes us preaching and living in such a bold way that, that we don't cast the narrative of doom and despair and worry and fear. Father, I pray that we will start living by your grace and hope and not by taboos of culture that, either, that pull us apart, either because it teaches us to, um, to hate another group or it teaches us to condemn or to be self-righteous towards another group. Father, cast all that out. And help us to live in the light of your great love. Lord, your son gave his life for us so that we might live in a perfect heaven and earth. The home of righteousness. And I pray that we will, if he's willing to go to the cross and bear that insult and that hatred and that violence to draw it out of the world. Then Father, help us not to be afraid to die for him. And Father, we know that our baptism is our first lesson in what it means to die for Jesus. Lord, help us today not to forget that lesson. We ask in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So as these elders are going to be up here, if you need any encouragement or if you want to go through the first lesson of dying for Jesus, we want to talk to you about that. Whatever your need may be, Let's stand, let's sing, let's encourage one another.